I had a recent interview with someone who asked me what KPIs I judge my team on. And I said, you know, I, I don't bring on a team that I would want to manage through KPIs. You know, we, we might generate KPIs for other teams. But um, I like a team of people who I can tell, and you can usually tell this when you're first talking to someone, honestly, that are intrinsically motivated to do a good work because they're passionate about what they do. Welcome to RevOps Rockstars in Pursuit of Unicorns. I'm David Carnes. And I'm Jaren Chu. Join us as we interview RevOps leaders to explore the challenges they have faced, the biggest lessons they've learned, and what they think makes a RevOps rockstar. This show is brought to you by OpFocus on a mission to help companies run their businesses better by letting you focus on growth while we scale your operations. Let's get this show on the road. Today's guest is Ben Breyer, who's a great friend of OpFocus, who's worked in business operations the past eight years across three companies. Ben has a passion for problem solving and removing barriers. He loves working with all facets of an organization to help them optimize their workflow. Let's welcome Ben Breyer, Vice President of Business Operations at Facet Wealth. Welcome, Ben. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be here. Love working with OpFocus. Love talking about revenue operations. So I was looking forward to digging in with you today. Awesome. Ben, I love that you're already bringing the energy immediately. <laughs> and we're going to capitalize on that because the All first right. question is, what is something in RevOps that you've had to learn the hard way? That's a great question. Um, you know, without a doubt is, um, you know, I came into revenue operations more from the systems engineering and technical side. So I, I think that one thing that uh, slapped me in the face pretty soon when, when I started rolling in sales operations and beyond was implementing new systems, procedures, um, importance of data on teams um, is a big change for a lot of people, especially when you're working with a lot of companies taking that shift to a smaller startup, kind of going to that next level, which I've done. And um, I think you need to be really cognizant of that. I think that change and transformation is is hard for people to accept. I think they're very willing to do it, but I think context is important. And I, I found early on that if you don't provide that up front and you don't get those, those champion feelings out of people, um, it's going to be a lot harder for you and a lot harder for them to adapt. And it's met with a little bit of... Um, friction. So I, I think that I learned pretty early on is that you have to almost sell what you're about to do before you're about to do it, make people understand the purpose of why and how it's going to enable them in their jobs and how it's going to enable the organization to grow. And I, I think getting that mindset and getting the teams I've run um, thinking the same way um, has been hugely beneficial to making all of our rollouts and changes and, and improvements um, be a lot more successful. Very cool. So your title is VP of Business Operations. I'm curious, what does that entail and how do you measure success in the role? Yeah, so business operations, I actually started just doing sales operations, but over time, um, you start seeing that things are more than just sales. Nothing is one thing in a company. Um, so the reason we have business operations here and then I've run it this way at other companies is that um, getting all of these things together that cover systems, data, and process in the, in the management of these things um, needs to be one centralized unit that's thinking of the throughput of the systems and the process um, from soup to nuts. You know, from the time that you get a lead in or interest from a person or maybe anonymous interest that you're tracking on a website 
to the sales team working with them to sign a contract, to them going through implementation, to them becoming a customer and then growing that customer. It's really one journey that they go through, one customer experience. And the business operations role says that, hey, we know this is one thing. We know this is one straight line. We might have specialties on the team for marketing or for sales or for support or customer success, but the business operation brand, if you will, is basically to say that this is all encapsulated in one unit that's thinking of it as one straight line uh, for the clients. So my purview is basically that it's the systems, it's the data that the company uses both to drive decisions and to help teams operate properly, know that they're operating properly, and to make sure that we're dealing with the customers the right way. Um, so that's been a really important shift. And a lot of people who have joined my teams um, have come from maybe being a technical person on a marketing team. And they've always been, and I've been very happy about this, very proud of this candidly, that they've always really liked coming to a unit where they have that full view of things and they've been able to do their job better and they've been able to learn and grow more. So what's something in your role that you wish you had done sooner? Oh, that is an excellent question aligned with the first one. So um, I think one thing that I regret not understanding sooner or regret not doing in other positions sooner is um, getting people to understand how much data is affected by proper system setup and proper process being followed. I think that it's really easy for organizations to blame, oh, the data's wrong or the analysts don't know what they're doing. And it's generally not the case, you know, um, data is usually wrong because the system generating the data is not being used properly or not well thought out or people entering the data aren't given the right instructions or sometimes guardrails that they would probably appreciate. Um, and, and it corrupts those things. So a lot of companies have this problem where they just don't know what's going on or they don't trust it. And I think that <clears throat> it might be immediately obvious to me what the reason was, you know, from my background experience, but it's not to everyone else. So I think that kind of learning for leadership and, and frankly down um, needs to happen immediately before you kind of get about doing what you're about to do in these roles. What's interesting about what you just said, Ben, is the, it really seems like a chicken and egg and it's peeling back layers of the onion oftentimes to really determine where, where to start first. Because you're yeah. mentioning um, data is often a symptom of process. And then oftentimes what we hear a lot of the times when customers come to us or SaaS companies come to us and they're like, oh, well, all of our reporting is challenging. We can't make mm -hmm. the right decisions. And they're like, it's all the data's fault. So like you have to start somewhere in chipping away at the problem. And I'm just curious if you wanted to comment at all in terms of um, what you found in terms of an order of operations or where do you begin when you've got to tackle, you know, so many different sets of problems at the same time? Yeah. I I'm not one who comes in and enforces immediate change. I like to be a little more thoughtful about it. Um, for that very reason, Jaron, I, I think that, um, people do often use that as the excuse or, or the problem, but it's not, it's the symptom. It really is. Um, and usually what I do is I dig into what are the reports you're using? What's generating them? What's the source of them? Um, say you're pulling reports in Tableau on top of a data warehouse and you're telling me they're wrong. Well, where's the data warehouse pulling from? Which reports are wrong? What are the data elements that are wrong? And you really have to trace it back. It is honestly troubleshooting. Um, it's, it's just kind of finding the broken part of the circuit. And I'm telling you nine times out of 10, it is because something wasn't set up appropriately or taught to the people entering the data properly. It's always the case. It's never a case of 
data doesn't just make itself to be wrong. <laughs> it's generated incorrectly for some reason, be it either bad automation, bad system setup, or probably bad training on people using the systems. Ben, your title is BizOps, and oftentimes in the in the ecosystem, we hear BizOps, RevOps, sometimes used interchangeably, sometimes differently. I'd love mm -hmm. to learn what does your RevOps or BizOps function entail internally? I, I think BizOps just gives it a little extra layer. And I would say that, you know, in my purview right now, you know, my team also does a lot of the data engineering and the warehousing of the data. So I wouldn't really consider that a, a revenue operations role. While it does drive some things for revenue operations, I don't think it's specifically that. But revenue operations to me is, it's funny, you know, you, a lot of people think it's sales and marketing, but I think it goes beyond that. I think that um, every part of a company candidly is fueling revenue, which is the lifeblood of the company. You know, it's nice that you get the interest from the marketing team and the sales team brings in the revenue, but how do you keep it? So I actually do feel that things like customer support, customer success, implementation actually also feed into it. And it's not often spoken about in the same world, but I, I think it is of a piece. So generally, I kind of do see them a little bit interchangeably. Um, but when I start getting into a little more technical work around it, that isn't maybe part of that customer journey, um, I might break it out to more of that biz ops purview. And that, that's kind of where I've been sitting. And what you're saying also echoes some of the research that uh, folks over at Forrester, for example, have put out, um, where I think they define RevOps, everything from product marketing through yeah. marketing, sales uh, to CS, like you said. Um, and the difference in what you just described is for BizOps in your role, it's it's even further into the business. It's even further along. Yeah, there's there's a technical aspect to it that I think that it, it broadens out into. I'm not going to go as far as saying it's an IT thing, though I'm always very tightly aligned with the IT team. So there are security components to it to make sure that, you know, our systems are set up with SSO, people have the right permissions. So there's that aspect of it. And I think that's when it kind of grows into more of the business operations view. You know, we have to have eyes on the revenue operations because we're enabling it. Um, we're sustaining it and we're serving that. But there is a little bit more to it. Um, but, you know, for revenue operations, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I know that that's, that's the common thought now. Um, and I know it wasn't always the case, but retaining revenue is just as, if not more important than growing revenue. Do you find yourself ever needing to educate uh, folks internally at your company around what really is the purview of what you do and what you don't do? Frequently. Um, you know, um, I think every time I come into an organization, it's met with... Um, a little bit of a blank stare. Um, and it takes a little while for people to understand it. So I'll probably present my plans early on. Here's, you know, what I'm thinking and what the purview is. Once things start rolling, I'll present it again. And as we start releasing things and having successes and showing the value of the team, I'm a big believer in constantly communicating that because, you know, it's easy to fall into something with an operations team where you're the team that, um, you know, if everything's going well, no one really knows what you're doing. And if something goes badly, everyone blames you. So it's something to be a little bit of in front of and education is a big part of it. But yeah, it's, I've been doing this for a while and it's, it's funny to me that, you know, so many team, so many companies don't think about what it is or understand what it is. Um, but thankfully I've always been, um, fortunate enough to work with leadership that does understand it and, and very, um, very strongly backs it. And that that's given a lot of wind to our sales. But it, it is constant education and re-education. You know, you don't want people thinking that 
you're a help desk team. Like, yes, we're an enablement team. Yes, we're there to help teams um, grow and facilitate them. But um, it's a little bit more than that. Um, and I also don't like people necessarily thinking of it as a governance big brother team. That's not the point either. There is a component of that too. But I think after people start seeing what you produce, and usually people on these teams are high performing people, very technical, very thoughtful people. I think that people in the organization start understanding that, recognizing it, and really look to us as a um, a center of excellence. And that's the kind of team you have to grow to do these things. With so many functions under your purview internally, how do you typically determine the balance of in-house versus what you might outsource, what you might um, have an external team uh, help help out with? Yeah, so... Um... It is. I mean, you know, I've data engineers, I've analysts, I've project managers, I've business analysts. Um, I'm very fortunate that I have such a diverse team. When it comes to external parties to work with, um, I won't really use them for analysis or data engineering and things like that. I think that's better kept in house. You have to have a really strong sense of the company and what everything means to do that. But I use third parties like OpFocus a lot because when we're setting up new systems or new parts of systems, or um, it could be a module of a system that we've had for a while that the team doesn't have an experience in. I love my teams. I know they're very technically sound, but I do like that layer of just professional expertise on people who live that, breathe that, and, and really understand it for a couple of reasons. It Number one, it ensures that my, my implementation is being done the best way possible. Um, I'm a big believer in best practices. You're always going to have to customize beyond a certain point, but if you don't start things fun um, fundamentally correctly, you know, you're setting yourself up for a, a rat's nest of um, issues later. Um, so it avoids that. And it also has a huge, huge benefit of training my team. Um, when they start working alongside these third parties, you know, a big reason I work with OpFocus and, and companies like that is that I'm very specific with the people I work with saying, listen, my team's going to work alongside you. We're going to share the burden on this. And at the end of this, my team's a lot smarter for it. They're a lot more adept at the product and they can usually self-sustain. And I'll incorporate those third parties when we have a massive um, maybe extension of what we've done because I get that same thing back again. So it's a little bit beneficial for my team. And it also ensures, I think, that the best products produced um, out of the gate. I don't like implementing and re-implementing if I can avoid it. And I think if you try to do that yourself, you frequently end up there you lose time, you lose information, you lose credibility, and you lose money, to be honest. So Ben, you've been talking about products and systems, and I want to shift gears a little bit and ask you, what tech stack tool could you not live without? Oh, that's a great one. Listen, I'm a big fan of Salesforce. I'm a big fan of Tableau, BigQuery. <laughs> I think Excel is the most wonderful tool in the world, just because you could almost do anything you need out of there. It could be a horrible manual database. It could be a an analytics tool. It could be anything. And I don't have a person on my team that doesn't lean on it at some point. It's like they made that beautifully out of the gate. It's been refined over the years. And I'm a huge Excel fan. You know, a little known history of op, op focus is in our first few years, we wrote tens of thousands of lines of Excel VBA code automating reporting when there really weren't many good choices at the time pulling data out of Salesforce and out of other systems and processing it and then presenting it using Excel. See, I liked you guys before I even knew it. No, that makes <laughs> a lot of sense to me. I mean, I honestly got into this from 
using mm -hmm. Excel a lot, getting into Microsoft Access, that brought me to SQL and it kind of escalated from there. So that's always kind of my home base, I'd say. You know, it's like a musician who gets really great, but they always started in the blues and that's always kind of their foundation. I think of it that way. Uh-huh. Well, staying with that theme for a moment. So I'm assuming in Excel, a lot of it's reporting. Uh, mm -hmm. Where do you get your at-a-glance view within FacetWell? So a lot of that, honestly, is Tableau. And the reason for that is um, we do a lot of work within our platform itself. Um, so that ingests a lot of information from our platform. That's why my data engineering team is so vital and a lot of information from Salesforce. So we use that a lot. I will tell you that, that while that's great and you can tie together a lot of data sources, I am kind of getting into a shift where we're starting to use Salesforce for a lot of things specifically. And the reason for that is I'm a big believer in making data democratic. I do want people to be able to pull their own reports and not be dependent on us. And I don't want to be a blocker to people. So if we set up something like a Salesforce properly, where you can track um, sales services, even a lot of marketing things, I think teams get a lot more out of it a lot faster. Tableau is a wonderful tool for really heavy analysis. And that's where we've been. Um, but when you want on the fly information, if you have it here in Salesforce, it's just so much quicker. Everyone has a look at it. And even if someone's looking at something slightly wrong, you can quickly go in and affect it. And I don't need analysts to do that work. You know, my admins could do it. My PMs could do it. I could do it. Sales leaders end up learning it really quickly. So I'm a huge fan of it just for that reason. And, um, I think we're moving over to that a lot more. Um, yeah. When it's not product related, I'd say. Um, how about for uh, health checks? Is there a platform, a tool that you rely on for doing health checks? That's something that we're working on right now. So we we do have um, a data science branch that's getting um, into things with us. Um, they've been leveraging a tool called SISU, S-I-S-U, that's been wonderful. Um, but we're going to start using our own kind of internal data science and probably feeding that to the CRM. So it's upfront in people's face and we can actually automate activity around that. Very cool. That sounds exciting. I think that's a good segue into the next question for you. Uh, what is exciting you about the future of RevOps? Oh, there's a lot. I mean, you know, there's so much technology coming out and there's always, you know, especially lately in the past two, three years, I'd say I've noticed that working with my teams were like, wow, it would be great if we didn't have to customize this. And there was a tool out there that does this. And a lot of those things have been happening. Um, and it's really marvelous to see, you know, while not all of them are perfect, but even things like a Chili Piper that have these really cool schedulers where you can kind of have meetings tied together. They flow into the system well. Um, Gong has been like a really wonderful tool that we've been utilizing for, you know, measuring what the calls are like, what's being said, are we saying the right thing? Are we talking too much? And these are things that you'd have to do heavy data analysis from. And now it's kind of served up on a platter for you um, and everything integrates. And that kind of ecosystem of things that we're able to do, I just see it growing and growing and growing. And it's really been able to help teams like mine, you know, get things out quicker, deliver it to the company quicker, get more ROI out of us and the tools and really, really drive decisions in a way that we trust and, and that are really important to the company. Um, so I know that's a really high level answer, but it's, it's just been snowballing in recent years and it's been like absolutely wonderful to see. I have to say that I share your excitement in being able to have an ecosystem of options that 
we can go out and buy or um, select from without needing to reinvent the wheel. And something I keep reminding myself is when I run into a problem that feels really challenging, really hard, I'm like, it's not me that can't do this. It's actually a really hard problem. And there should probably be a solution out there, uh, an offering out there that will help solve or alleviate that problem. So I do think that vibrance of the ecosystem is so encouraging to work in. It is. It's it's always been that build versus buy conversation. And a lot of times it falls to build because there's not something out there or it's price prohibitive. But a lot of these new um, platforms, they've become so specialized that you know that that team is just thinking about all those problems that you have maybe 25% of your time to spend on and it takes a long time. And they're not always that expensive anymore. I mean, that's the other thing, you know, they've come down market a little bit. And um, it's just like, it's just been wonderful to see and wonderful to be a part of and wonderful to work with. For the first half of the call, we've been talking a lot about um, the things you do and learning from you. For the second half of the call, I'd love to switch over and learn more about you. (laughs) And some of the things uh, we talked about beforehand, uh, you're currently based out of New Jersey. I believe you studied English in your undergrad at Rutgers Mm -hmm. and your prior role uh, where you were a customer of ours as well was director of business operations at Central Reach. So I'm curious, Ben, how did you get into SaaS RevOps? Like take me back to all the way of what you studied and how you stumbled into the field. Yeah. Um, I've had an interesting career and I'm very thankful for it because I think it's it's given me a lot of insight, which has got me here. But um, yeah, I actually studied English and philosophy and um, I was on a path to being a, a literature professor or a writing professor. Um, and after college, I took a job substitute teaching and I also started working at McGraw-Hill in the production department and doing some editing. Um, and then I decided, you know, I liked working and I didn't really want to go back to school. And after substituting, it was like, maybe teaching is not for me. Um, that was a nice role. I ended up leaving that company and getting an editorial job actually at a directory. And as part of that job, I had to set up a database that was fueling the directory itself. And I mentioned this before that was actually done in some proprietary system and we pulled it into Microsoft access. I loved working on that project. Um, and that brought me over to the, um, engineering side of things actually, as it turned out, this was about 2008. And um, editing and publishing wasn't a great field. So I was also thinking that, you know, I'm enjoying this database management. I'm really um, taking to it. I've been, I started studying it on my own. I taught myself SQL and Access. Um, So I switched over to an engineering role at that company and it became a um, data platform company, actually. So that worked out nicely. Um, We worked on a lot of data ingestion processes, data transformation. Um, I was embedded with the engineering team versus a PM. Um, and then I started taking part in a lot of the initiatives, ran data quality. I actually had a six-month project off-site, about four people, to redo our complete um, ingestion engine. And um, in coming back, I remember contacting our head of operations. And I said, you know, what's the next initiative I'll be working on? And he answered me, um, I need someone to run support. And we bought a new tool that no one's really had time on. I think you could take it over. It's called Salesforce. I wasn't familiar with it at the time. Came back to the office, ran support, started taking over Salesforce. And I think that was really the start of uh, the next phase of my career that I'm still fortunate to be in. Um, 
that turned into sales operations roles that purview extended business operations. And, you know, here I am. Um, I was lucky enough to have a lot of data analysis work in my background, engineering, project management, business analysis along the way. Um, so it was just such an organic flow, um, especially from someone who had a typewriter in college. Um, but I'm very thankful for the experience I had in getting here. And I, I think that it's given me a view that um, people coming at, at it just from a sales end or just from a tech end um, weren't able to get. So I feel very lucky for that. And uh, yeah, it's been a really interesting journey. And I think when I describe this to a lot of people, they're a little taken aback um, that I got here that way. But uh, you, know, you know, you know, it's so interesting, Ben. I think if I had a dollar for every time someone shared that they stumbled onto databases and the light bulb <laughs> went off, and that happened to me too. It was a, it was a summer class at Harvard on database yeah. management and changed everything, changed how I thought yeah. about everything. Uh, but then also that similar story of uh, how if I had a dollar for every time uh, people saying, you know, or hearing, we've bought this thing called Salesforce. Right. We need you. We need you to figure it out. <laughs> I hear it all the time. What do they call them? Accidental administrators. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I, yeah. It was, I think I took to that because of the databases, you know, I saw it immediately. It's like, oh, this is a really nice relational database underneath here and allows me to automate off of everything here. And yeah. it's just like, I was like, this is what I've been looking for. This is the kind of ecosystem. I mean, the fact that it serves so many parts of the company and really embedded you in what those different teams do, I was able to learn all those parts of the company. And, and um, I just find it super exciting. Um, I love it. And, you know, I learned more. Everywhere I go, every day I'm doing it, and every person I work with. Well, we're lucky to have English majors like you in the <laughs> Salesforce community. So, so Ben, I'm curious, what does Facet Wealth do? So, Facet Wealth. Um, so, we are actually. Um, I don't want to say we're a financial services company exactly, but we are. Um, so, we really want to enable our clients to really live the lives that they want to do. You know, we want to. Um, really let them live beyond what they thought they could. So we are a financial services company. We do this through technology. Um, people come to our platform. They can model out what kind of um, things they want to do in their life, what they want to accomplish, what their goals are. And our financial administrators work with them through technology, remote Zoom calls, anything it is, and um, help them realize that, you know, a little bit at the people's own leisure because they can check up things in the platform, uh, we can manage their assets for them. And um, we're really here to help them not just make decisions on like, what are you going to do in the stock market? You know, what should I put my 401k? But if you want to take a trip next year, you know, how do you make that work and not hurt yourself later? And the wonderful part of the company that I really appreciate is we're not doing this where we're taking a percentage of your wealth. Um, it's a subscription service. It's a recurring subscription service. So we're here to help you realize what you tell us you want to do. And we don't have that um, thought of we're going to make a little bit more money with you as you make that money. So we're not pushing you to more extremes. We're allowing you to do what you want to do. You know, we're going to enrich your lives the way you want us to. Um, and that story that we do and that making this available to everybody um, has been really wonderful because, you know, especially in the times we're in, it's hard to make the right financial decision. And um, it's been a little cost prohibitive for most people. And the fact that this company can open that up down market to people who might not have as much or just starting out and starting their family and we can help them do that um, is really a wonderful story. And it was really a big reason to bring me here. And, um, you know, the company's amazing too, because, you know, we have Slack channels where we constantly see planners talking about all the wonderful things that they've been helping their clients do and all the goals they've met. And, um, 
it's really heartening. Um, and I try to work with companies that have those kind of stories, you know, central reach worked with practices that, um, help people, um, who practice working with children with autism, run their practice. So I really do appreciate those kind of things that enable people and enrich their lives. And, and facet has been, you know, at the forefront of that in the financial services realm. Well, it sounds like a great year for it. Sorry. Go ahead, Jaren. Yeah. No, Very timely. I mean, one of the things that really strikes me as so compelling, Ben, is, uh, you know, Mark Benioff loves to say on the main stage at Dreamforce that business is a force for good. And the two yeah. companies that you've been at most recently, you know, currently Facet Wealth and previously Central Reach, all really have a mission baked into their profit model and that it doesn't need to be a separate conversation. It doesn't need to be donate on the side, but rather through no. business itself, it is evolving and changing and affecting some really meaningful causes. Yeah. I mean, you know, finances for better, or for worse, are part of every aspect of your life. Um, and it's not the easiest thing to deal with. And it's something a lot of people kind of shy away from. And, you know, we really want to make it easier for people and we really want to help them. And, um, it's nice to be part of businesses that think that way. So, I mean, yeah, Salesforce has taken off because they've been a huge enablement tool too. Um, I think I use that word enablement a lot, but it means a lot to me. Um, you know, I, I'm not um, an authoritarian type. So I, I like thinking about things as like, not you do this because you just do it and I'm telling you to do it. I like doing it where it's like actually helping people progress and, and get better and do what they need to do. And this company fits in that. So it's been wonderful to be a part of it. Well, that's great. And just hearing the word enablement makes me think of, you know, having heard of you over the years doing such a great job, finding talent, onboarding talent, growing talent. Uh, a question in that area, is there a piece of advice that you share with folks that you bring on board to your team as they're ramping up on their RevOps or BizOps journeys? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I had an, I had a recent interview with someone who asked me what KPIs I judge my team on. And I said, you know, I, I don't bring on a team that I would want to manage through KPIs. You know, we, we might generate KPIs for other teams, but um, I like a team of people who I can tell, and you can usually tell this when you're first talking to someone, honestly, that are intrinsically motivated to do a good work because they're passionate about what they do. Um, so anyone who joins my team is probably someone that I've gotten that vibe from. Um, you know, technical skills could be taught. You don't have to know every system in the world. You'll learn them. If you're intellectually curious, you'll learn them. So I usually tell people when they join my team, like, listen, you're not going to know everything. That's fine. Be curious. Ask questions. If something goes awry, that's fine. There's nothing we can't fix. Just bring it up quickly. So I'm a big believer in telling them about communication, Um don't take things unto yourself. You don't have to do everything. You have a team around you to help you and um, collaboration. So those are the two things I really push to my team. And I think that a lot of people, and thank you for the kind words, David, about the people I brought on. I, I think that I've found a lot of great talent. I've been very fortunate, but um, I think that they really start doing that and they become a very close knit team and they work really well together. And also it's a big knowledge share um, thing where I think a lot of people grow and it's nice to see that happen. And then they can kind of branch out and, and kind of have the larger purview. So I really impress that on them to be communicative, be collaborative. Um, don't put it all on yourself, ask questions. And I think that's, that's served people really well. Even people I brought on who've been really experienced, you know, it's usually been experienced in one thing and not the rest. And they need to open up and understand that 
it's not always someone else's problem. You know, you can help them. And um, also, you know, one thing I tell them is we're that problem solving team, as you said early on, David. Um, so it's sometimes like, you know, you guys have to know that sometimes the buck stops here. Um, we're the team that comes up with those solutions and has those answers. So, you know, feel emboldened by that, you know, um, feel like you do have a handle on what you're doing over time and, and don't be afraid of that or shy away from that and not tell people. I like the alternative perspective you're providing, you know, the way you debunked right at the top, you know, that you don't want to um, just use KPIs as a means of managing a team or hiring a team uh, that really the people are, are at the core of it, the competencies that they bring, the culture fit, the curiosity fundamentally mm -hmm. that they bring is really what you're looking for. And I think that is such a welcome addition to what is typically a very metrics obsessed operations sort of function. Yeah, it's 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 something that gets lost. And listen, as a person who works with data and everything, obviously I have a passion for it. But um, again, I, I think people who work in this space um, just have that motivation. So the kind of things I'll look at are, are you know, how are projects moving along? What looks like it's stuck? And, and try to help them unstick those things. Um, but, you know, I don't worry about their hours if things are done. Um, candidly, most of my team works a lot. And it's not me telling them to. They just do because they want things done and they want to make sure it's good. I was like that. Um, so I kind of look for people the same way. But I feel like if you put hard metrics and a weekly KPI meeting of some sort on the on a team like that, I, I think it pushes them down. And I think it, it stymies them. And, and that's the last thing in the world I want to do. Let's talk a little bit about outside of work. Leading biz ops, leading rev ops can be quite intense with the number of uh, projects that you have balancing yeah. at any given time. What do you typically do to unwind from the insanity uh, of your role? Uh, well, you know, I have um, very fortunate, I have a wonderful wife. I have two um, daughters, three and 18 months. So um, obviously I spend a lot of time with them and doing whatever it is they want to do, be it painting or um, riding their bikes outside. I also play um, guitar a lot when I get when I have the time, um, which isn't as frequently as I'd like. And, you know, I like a lot of uh, every kind of music. I play a lot of jazz and things like that. Um, but that is a good way to unwind for me. And, you know, when I get to like get a few rounds of golf in with some friends, um, I used to like fishing here and there, but that's been a long time that I've been able to do that. But honestly, if I if I get the family time and a little time to uh, play guitar, listen to music, I'm, I'm a happy guy. I'm a pretty simple guy. You know, I'm very busy, like as you said, but it's nice to be able to do things where you could just unplug and, and kind of let your brain refresh, I guess. And I think that hanging out with the uh, the kids and playing music and listening to music has been a really good outlet for that. Have you started uh, pass writing songs or passing on your musical skills to, to the kiddos? I, I did buy my three-year-old a, a little pink Stratocaster that she's been taking to. Um, I'm not going to push it. They can do whatever they want, but, you know, I'll make sure that they have an instrument. <laughs> but they they both seem to love music, which is very hardening to me. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Are, are the Wiggles still a thing, or is that is that a, by, a I think um, at their age, it's more Cocoa Melon and, uh, and uh, whatever's on Disney Plus, Frozen, or whatever it might be. So I've, I'm very well-versed in those things. I know all the Cocoa Melon songs. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had to learn them for them. So 
All right. Well, shifting gears one more time, uh, we're curious, who do you respect or admire in the RevOps community today? And perhaps who else should be on the RevOps Rockstar podcast? You know, it's it's interesting. So I, I, I'm, I'm poorly read in, in my sphere. You know, I read a lot of blog articles. I don't follow anyone specifically. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've I've had great learnings from people I've worked for and with. Um, I think I've been fortunate to um, my leadership at Facet Wealth. You know, our CFL Bill Farback has been someone I've worked with in the past too, and I've learned a lot from. Um, and um, I wish I I could say that I had a person in the space I really look towards, but I, I really try to get from a broad range of people. Um, I mentioned before I play music. I don't really have a favorite musician. I, I listen to a lot of different things and pull from different things I like and respect and different articles I read. So I read a lot about things. I don't follow anyone specific because I, I don't want to get caught in anyone's mindset. And um, I, I just like picking and choosing what I like from different things and taking those ideas and seeing how they can apply. Um, I know that's probably not the most common answer, but um, I'm very... I'm like that with everything I do in life. There is no one person in anything I like that I really look to. I, I just like, almost like, you know, you like movies. I don't have a favorite director necessarily. I just have favorite movies and what I get out of those things. And I, I think that way with everything, to be honest with you. So Ben, where can people find you? Are you on LinkedIn, Twitter, other social media platforms? I am on LinkedIn. You can also find me through the Facet Wealth um, website. I am a poor social media person at this point. I would love to spend more time on it. And I just don't. I think when I'm done with work for the day, instead of getting into um, Instagram or anything like that, I'm usually uh, slacking people. Thing that works. So uh, I'm not going to say I'm a workaholic, but I do have a, I do love my job and I, I love kind of, um, always being in the loop. I'm a terrible vacationer, but, um, but definitely LinkedIn. I check it frequently. Um, and I'm happy for anyone to reach out if they want to discuss anything. When alignment with, uh, your work and your purpose are, are together, it doesn't feel like work. <laughs> it's lovely. And I'm also fortunate that, um, uh, my wife works in financial operations. So, um, you know, she's very understanding of, um, my thoughts and my passions for things. And it's, it's been, it's been helpful to have someone like that. Well, Ben, uh, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the RevOps Rodcast, Ro sorry, the RevOps Rockstars podcast uh, today. It's been a pleasure working with you and getting to know you over the last number of years, bumping into you at Salesforce events and meeting Absolutely. up for dinner in New Jersey and and and, uh, and all that. Um, it's uh, it's so valuable to hear your learnings and observations and have them shared with our listeners. So we really appreciate your time today. No, thank you for having me. I love talking about this. Um, I could talk about it all day. You guys at OpFocus have been wonderful partners and uh, candidly, I've learned a lot working with all of you. And um, you know, it was, it, was a, it was an honor to actually join you on this podcast. So thank you so much for having me. We also want to thank our audience who's joined us in the last 30, 40 minutes, uh, listening to these different experiences in the RevOps world. If you learned something today, or laughed at one of our jokes, uh, please tell someone about this podcast and share it with a colleague. Thank you again, Ben, for joining us today. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. And this has been another exciting episode of RevOps Rockstars. See you next time. Stay classy, Rockstars. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us. 
For show notes and other episodes, visit RevOpsRockstars.com. RevOps Rockstars is sponsored by OpFocus. Visit OpFocus.com to learn more about how OpFocus helps SaaS companies scale their revenue operations.